Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lee2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B and beyond. I'm your growth marketing host, Lee Moskowitz. This is going to be a great episode for job seekers because we're diving into the world of talent acquisition with a true industry veteran, James Hudson. With two decades of experience leading talent acquisition teams at iconic brands, including Nike, Levi's, and Forever 21, as well as hypergrowth startups, dot-com sites, and more, James hasn't just climbed the corporate ladder, he's literally traveled the world, leading recruitment from London to Hong Kong and more. You can catch James' articles on Forbes and check out his ultimate guide for job seekers. And today we are just going to have an awesome conversation about hiring practices, resumes, recruiters, and more on this episode of Lead to Be. Hey, James. Thank you for having me. It's so fun to be here. You know, when you reached out to me, I was like, is he reaching out? Because I don't, I've never worked in B2B. I've always worked in B2C. Or is he reaching out because I, he thinks I'm sassy. So anyway, we'll figure it out as we go along, right? So Lee to B is a name. It just sounds better than better to B and Lee to B and C. I mostly cover B to B topics, um, but like I, I dabble in nonsense. So I've also had DDI people. Um, so like we have d- diverse things here, but talent acquisition is a a pretty diverse topic. Applies to everybody. Two, one of the main reasons why I wanted you on is I've personally loved your LinkedIn content. I've always found it helpful. Um, you know, I, I eventually reached out to you one time with like a quick question and you you had a great response. So I was like, you know what? Your posts, I love them. It's helpful for other people. Let me just have you on and like we'll have a real conversation about today's job market. Uh, insights that, you know, other people don't share that I've seen you share. And, and yeah, that was really it. Super happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Plus, I thought you were sassy, so you'd, you'd fit the vibe. I'll, I'll try and deliver on that, too. I wanted to start with your article on Forbes that came out this morning. And for listeners, we're recording it on January 4th. But the article is all about one of the top questions I hear from fellow job seekers. And it's why you're not hearing back after you apply for jobs online. So this came out this morning. And... It's just one of the top questions, and I'd love for you to dive into, one, why you felt like you wanted to answer this, and two, what are some of the actual reasons that people aren't hearing back? There's a great place to start, and before we even go there, I guess the origin story of all of this is last year, my partner and I were in a really bad car wreck, like airlifted to hospital bad. It was pretty bleak. Wow. But you know, it could have been worse. We weren't killed. And we didn't have life changing injuries. But we were in hospital in Los Angeles for a few weeks. And then we had like a three to four month recovery at home. We were pretty seriously injured. And so I started spending more time on LinkedIn in the spring and summer of last year, because we were we were housebound, literally. Mm-hmm. And what I started to see was there was like a gold rush almost of content creators coming to the site, posting at best erroneous and at worst clickbaity stuff around careers and getting hired. And it really started to irritate me because I could see that there was a real desire for people to understand how the job marketplace works. And it's only become more complex post-pandemic. And then there was this desire for people to understand how it works. But at the same time, 
these folks rushing to offer solutions that weren't based on any practical experience of how it all works. So I started to produce content on LinkedIn to answer some of those questions. And in parallel, I started to offer free coaching sessions initially to anyone that had been impacted by a layoff, because obviously 2023 was all about layoffs. But then, you know, over the course of the year, I've I've given away more than 160 coaching sessions now. So I've I've spoken to a real cross-section of people across America, in Europe, and and in Asia. It It became a sort of virtuous circle in that when folks ask me things in coaching sessions, whilst I obviously maintain their privacy. When I start to get asked a question more than once, two or three or four times, it obviously makes me realize that that is something that people are curious about. That then is often the foundation material for a LinkedIn post. And anything that gets a lot of traction, likes, comments, questions on LinkedIn, I then turn that into an article for Forbes. So it's, uh, it's been a great sort of symbiotic way that you know, started accidentally, but I can see that there is an appetite for knowledge around this. And I'm trying to use the knowledge that I have from leading talent acquisition teams globally for for a couple of decades now to give the most honest, insightful and constructive advice that I can. And it's my goal to help folks not only navigate this increasingly complex post-pandemic job marketplace, but also to avoid some of the pitfalls that are, that are out there in that there is a lot there are a lot of unscrupulous people mm-hmm. selling courses that are just Pushing not, snake oil yeah just snake oil and so that's why I give my content away for free I'm in a privileged position to be able to do so and it's also whilst I'm also looking for my next gig it's a nice way to stay fresh to stay relevant to be useful and to be part of the conversation so I have so many little questions to ask there. But first, I want to go to coaching because why aren't you charging for it? And, and I think I'll know your answer, but you, like, there's, there's coaches out there. Why, why aren't you charging for as a career coach or a resume coach or whatever? Maybe I've been living in California too long. Um, but I really, after the accident, which coincided with me being laid off, um, I, was it before what, or after? You don't have to give the details you don't want, but like, that's my on, first I'll question. I'll be completely transparent. It was two weeks after I found out I was being laid off. Oh, okay. uh, we were in this- I was going to say, if they did it beforehand, like, mm-mm. Yeah, it was, it was catastrophic. Not catastrophic, we survived, but it was awful. I was still an employee, obviously, I, at this point. So did you have their health insurance? Because, again, you're, you said California, so U.S. insurance, not... Yeah, I did, thank goodness. Oof. Um, but nobody from my former employer called me. We were in a hospital in the ICU. My boss didn't call. My boss's boss didn't call. My chief human resources officer who I'd just had lunch with in San Francisco. I never heard from any of them again. And I was just, my former boss from Levi's (laughs) sent a food package to my home. But my most recent employer couldn't even send a text message. And so I was also dealing with the trauma of that. You know, when you've, you know, led an organization of 100 people within a, a large corporate, you feel like, and at an executive level, you feel like you're, quote unquote, part of the family. But that really showed me I was yeah. never part of that family. Never. Yeah, that's fucked up. It's gross. Um, and that's what inspired me to try and put good energy into the universe. Because I knew a lot of people that I worked with that had also been impacted. My team, what would 
so I started by I started by helping employee uh, employees of my former employer. I'm very careful not to say their name because they're incredibly litigious. But you can look at my LinkedIn profile to see where I'm talking about the sneaker factory in the woods. <laughs> I started off by trying to help the folks that had been on my team or adjacent to my yeah. team that were impacted by that layoff. And then I realized I can do more with this. And so that's why I started opening my calendar to just anybody. And I didn't, I didn't feel, and I still don't feel, I should charge for it because I'm trying to put good energy into the universe and to show that not everybody in corporate America has questionable ethics. So, one, I think you could still have good ethics and still make some, some money while you're doing this. I, I think you can because people would pay for you. And people are paying for people who aren't as you as you already. So that that was one thing. But so original. So the article that came out today. Yes. Big big question. Everyone's asking, why don't people hear back from interviews? Yeah. Or, or even or applications rather. And it's both. And let's t- let's 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 tackle both, but separately. First. Yeah. Of let's all, talk applications. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with applications. First of all. There has always, since the beginning of the job market, there has always been what I call a signal to noise issue. And one of the central roles of an internal recruiter, a recruiter that works inside a company, is to improve the signal to noise ratio in favor of the employer. And so 20 years ago, what that meant is that a company would, and this is when I started, (laughs) would post print adverts in magazines and newspapers or in out you know outdoor media wherever depending to say that they were looking for employees and maybe a hundred people would reply they would write in they would fax in back in the day when i started we used to fax (laughs) resumes crazy to think about that now and for every hundred resumes that you might receive maybe 20 to 25 of them would actually be qualified for that job. And your job as a recruiter is to figure out of the 25 on paper qualified, speak to all of them and figure out who's who's the top five, six, seven candidates. And then those are the candidates that go through to the first stage interview process. Mm -hmm. All very analog, all very manual. That's still how the process works today. But obviously, we're in a digital environment, and a single job posting can receive a 1000 applications. In yes. an hour. And yeah, in an hour. And the ratios are still the same. Roughly 25% of those um, applications will be qualified. And 75% will be, won't even meet the minimum criteria. But a recruiter now has to figure out, okay, of those 250 people amongst the 1,000, they can't possibly speak to all 250. So they're only still going to speak to maybe 25, if that. and just the signal to noise ratio has gotten so much bigger and the job has gotten so much harder yet the tools have remained the same because even though consumer facing tech has had significant strides forwards which is obviously a fantastic thing the internal tech that recruiting teams use has barely changed in the last 20 years and so increasingly recruiting teams are meeting a digital problem with an analog solution and the, resu- the net result of all of that is that unless you're in that first 100 applicants, you're just not going to get seen. That's the awful truth, is that your application gets buried. Yeah. 
So is it is it a fault of an ATS system? Actually, let's talk about ATS systems because that everyone thinks they're experts at it. Everyone has a lot to say on um application tracking systems, ATS. What's the truths? What's the myths? What's the nonsense? Let's talk about ATS. You ask any legitimate recruiter and they will all tell you the same thing. An applicant tracking system is nothing more than a digital filing cabinet. It manages the applications that come in and keeps a track of all of our communication that is outbound, well, inbound and outbound. But that's all that it does. Everything requires recruiter intervention. So even though it's a quote-unquote digital tool, it still requires a ton of hands-on manual intervention. A recruiter has to look at your application and decide yes or no. The ATS cannot do that. And in fact, in the United States, that would be unlawful at this point. So this idea that the ATS is making a decision is completely erroneous. I think where it gets a little bit confusing is that ATSs, many of them, do have what we call qualifying questions. And that's where it's only lawful to deploy them where there is a binary answer. For example, are you over 18 years of age? That is a lawful question and a lawful qualifier in the United States. Do you have the right to work in the United States? Yes Mm -hmm. or no? And in those very specific situations, if you answer no, you're not over 18, your application will be automatically rejected. Or if you say you don't have the right to work in the United States, your application will be automatically rejected. But anything beyond that, a human being is making a decision. So if if you answer the questions honestly and in the, the right way for the company, and then subsequently you hear no, it's because a human being has made the decision. Or increasingly, you won't hear anything at all, which usually means nobody's looked at your application. Yeah. I honestly don't mind. Like, some people are like, I never even heard back. I don't care if there's a, a no reply. Like, I don't get the no reply. We didn't go with it. How do those no reply emails work, though? Is there, like, timing? Is it random? Do they, like, trigger out? And I'm going to say this because, so, an hour before midnight, so an, on New Year's Eve, so the last hour of 2023, I received <laughs> a rejection email from an application. From I'm going to say that it was PandaDoc. PandaDoc sent me a rejection email at... 11, 11, at min, uh, 11 p.m., right? Last hour. So I'm picturing that. I know it's not the case. I'm picturing I'm scrambling, trying to get as many rejections out before the end of the year. Uh, is it just like they have a random delay on it? Or like, what? how does that work? So there's a few things. Some of them, some ATSs have a built-in 24-hour delay. That is also customizable. For some ATSs, not for all. So it could be 24 hours. It could be 48 hours. So that's the first thing. It may be a delay a built-in delay from when the recruiter made the decision. Second of all, you don't know what time zone the recruiter is in. Mm-hmm. And so in all the teams I've managed in the last 15 years, I've had recruiters in every single time zone and workload is often shared across the team. So someone in Australia, where it's already tomorrow, <laughs> might be actually working on that. And so, so it could be because there's a delay or it, it could be because someone's working on it in real time, but in a different time zone. Even here in the United States, someone could be working on it in California and you're in New York. Right, right? yeah. Like, that's a three-hour time difference. So. so there could be a few different reasons. 
Yeah, I don't know why I got on New Year's Eve though. Still, may I, like my theory is they have them set to go out like Sunday nights. I just thought that was funny. But uh, someone have been working on it the day before New Year's Eve, and it was a twenty-four hour delay. That's right, I mean. right. Yeah, so that was ATS. I want to get into your ultimate guide for job seekers. So, one, I'd love for you to give the little recap of it, and then we'll dig into some of it. But I, I think this kind of speaks to what you're saying. You saw how much, like, and I'll paraphrase you in my own way, you saw how much shit advice was out there, and then you wanted to share your advice with people. So let's talk about this guide, and yeah. And the guide was just like this fun side project in that one of the great things about creating content for LinkedIn is LinkedIn gives you a ton of data. I can see, I get a lot of insight for how my stuff is performing, what's resonating with people, what people are liking and what people are finding useful. And so I, I collated all of my top performing and what I believe is my most insightful advice and put it in a single PDF document. And at like I, I charge a very negligible price. It's like $2.99 because I want folks to, to think of it as having value because I believe that it does. And hundreds of people uh, have downloaded and agreed with and therefore agree <laughs> that it is valuable. But also, I don't want to be making money from folks that are looking for work, which is why right. I price it less than a latte. Like it's valuable advice, but I'm not trying to make money out of people here. But so tell us, I guess, what is something that if if people don't even read the entire thing, and again, they should go buy it, but what is something that you want everybody to know from that book, whether they buy it, read the whole thing or not? I think the most important thing is the understanding that this is the most challenging talent market I have ever seen in more than 20 years of doing this. And when you, as an individual job seeker, are feeling like it's just you, it's not. There are hundreds of thousands of people that are experiencing the same thing. And community is going to be the most important thing in yeah. helping you navigate the challenges of this job search. I say it over and over again. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to take months, not weeks, to find a new job. Finding work takes work, but it's unpaid work. It's a thankless yeah. task. You hear no more than you hear yes. And most of the time, you don't hear anything at all. And so in the guide, I try and, I try and combine practical advice with also emotional resilience advice because you need both. You need to understand how to navigate the job market, but also you need to know how to manage and regulate your emotions through the job search journey because you have to keep going. But it is tough. And I want mm -hmm. people to understand that it's difficult. It's not you. It's a function of a very, very broken marketplace and this crazy macroeconomic. That's a big part why I post too. When you're by yourself and you're laid off and you're applying to jobs and doom scrolling on LinkedIn, it, like it's draining. But when you see somebody else who's going through the same thing or complaining about it or making a joke about it, like it feels like people talk to me like they know me because of my LinkedIn content. So that's, that's part of why I also post that 
that part of it because it's like you're not alone. But you, you said it. This is the most challenging job market. Why is the job market today so fucked? The job market is fucked because <laughs> it is, in my view, uh, it's like I call it the perfect storm. It's the macroeconomic environment. It's the residual effects of what we all went through during the pandemic. And it is the asymmetry between consumer-facing tech, like BARD and ChatGPT and all these fantastic tools that enable you as a job seeker to turbocharge your application process. And then the legacy tech that recruiters on the other side of the house are using to meet that significant uptick, to uptick in demand. And the fact that recruiting teams were disproportionately impacted by all the layoffs that happened in 2023. So the, there are fewer recruiters in seat working with tech stacks that are often 20 years old, dealing with an, an influx of job applications that have increased 10 or 100x. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking shitstorm. And that's what's making it so difficult. The signal to noise is so completely off. And when I talk about the hangover for what happened from what happened during the pandemic, what I mean is our shifting expectations around work, labor, and employment in that we all got a feel for, we all, many of us got a feel for remote work. And many people realized remote work, there are many benefits. There are downsides to it too, but a lot of people no longer had to commute. Never going back again, right? They could live wherever they wanted. So people got a taste for this. uh, And rightly so, they want more of it. But the pendulum has swung the other way. And now there are fewer remote opportunities but more people going for those opportunities so yeah. it's a real combination of things but underlying it all it's signal to noise it's far noisier than it's ever been so one i'm really glad you mentioned the the part how like there's legitimately fewer recruiters and talent acquisition people there um because i've experienced it myself with you know applying in jobs like the people who know how to hire uh and and do that stuff might not be there anymore so you're having people who've never hired before or who've only been like part of the hiring process trying to lead that and i mean i've i've hired a shit ton of people through my career um but like the way i've seen processes go now like are are insane and i never would have done that when i was hiring yeah let me give you some numbers uh meta uh used to have nine thousand recruiters they let 8,000 of them go. So they uh. still kept 1,000, but the, you know, that's the scale of layoffs. At my former employer, there were hundreds of recruiters and 50% of them got let go. And the ones that stayed are the cheaper ones, right? The, the, the more inexperienced ones and senior experienced folks like me got let go because we cost too much money. But also, if there's no one to show you how to do it, then the process goes out the window, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that you were talking about, so during the pandemic, there was that rush of of funding for a lot of companies because they had all this money to put somewhere else. Um, and then there was that rush of overhiring and everyone feeling great. And then it, it turned out. <laughs> yeah. In 2021, here in San Francisco, Demand for recruiters, this is the first time I've ever seen this, anywhere in the world that I've worked, 
In San Francisco in 2021, demand for recruiters outstripped demand for software engineers. And individual contributor recruiters were seeing starting salaries of a quarter of a million dollars. People with four years experience. <laughs> it was crazy because yeah. hiring got so crazy that there was such demand for recruiters. So a lot of recruiters came into the profession in 2021 and now a lot of them don't have jobs. It's crazy. That yeah. The whiplash is crazy. The other thing that I know is happening too is there, and I know you've done a lot of work here with DEI, but there was this really positive push for DEI from from all these different places, and now it's it's less it's less important. It's it's one of those nice to haves or not even, or it's just performative. It's so disappointing to see how little all of that matters and yes very few companies now are even prioritizing doing the right thing and it's just and the fact that it's become so politicized as well it's really disheartening and and as a member of the lgbtq community like it hurts my soul that we we and other underrepresented folks are caught in the middle of politics it's ugly we're human mm -hmm. beings and it's just awful it's just awful yeah like it well we'll, we'll shift gears a bit to, to get it a bit happier but i have one more really people have about just hiring interview processes and you've posted about this as well it's why recruiters don't give feedback or why hiring teams don't give feedback and there are a few reasons, there are a ton of reasons, but I'd love for you to share some of your insights on that. Yeah, and I actually have uh, one of my top performing pieces on Forbes answers this question. And the long and the short of it is... That well, may be why I'm asking the question. <laughs> Thank you for teeing me up. I do my research. Good for you. Good <laughs> question. <laughs> there are, there's two important things to take away from this. Number one, in, here in America, it is incredibly litigious. And therefore, most companies, most companies at scale, smaller companies less so, but most companies at scale have very strict guidelines around what we as recruiters and what our hiring managers are allowed to say. And everywhere that I have worked, the policy has been we're not allowed to say anything at all because there's too much risk associated with it. So the number one reason you're not getting feedback is recruiting teams are not allowed to give you feedback. And it is part of our job to ensure that hiring managers don't either. Now, it's not because we don't want to give you feedback. It's because we're not allowed to. And we can we could get into the rights and wrongs of all of that, but that is just the situation. The, the risk is not worth the potential trade-off of creating a better candidate experience. What I also say to folks is, you have to remember that interview feedback, even if we were allowed to give it, is so incredibly uh, situational. What you would be getting feedback on is your particular performance amongst a particular competitive set at a particular point in time at a particular company. Just because Apple say no doesn't mean Google will say no. And just because Apple say yes doesn't mean Google will say yes. 
And obviously, just because Apple say yes once does not mean they'd say yes a second time because it's a different hiring team. It's so subjective. And that's why you can see on LinkedIn, on Reddit, all over the place, people will interview at these dream companies. I've also got a piece on does your dream mm -hmm. exist? No, it doesn't. You know, they'll interview four or five times and get no after no after no until they get a yes. It's not because they got better or changed or it's because it's so situational. So you could get hung up on getting interview feedback, but you're not really going to get it most places. And my broader point is that even if you did get it, it wouldn't necessarily be that valuable in your onward job search. So make peace with the fact that you're not going to get it. Spend time practicing how you show up in interview, being yeah. your authentic self. That's the best thing you can do. And so I, I've rarely gotten the, the, you know, feedback, but like when, when I have like, and like, and I hear this from people too, like it's, it's almost like you can tell there's another reason or like, it wasn't really helpful or like, it'll make you angry or you won't agree with it. Like I have gotten, like, there's been like one or two times and it was more just like resume advice than like anything else. But, but yeah, but like people, people get hung up on it because it's like, I don't I don't need to talk to you and you need to give me feedback. But if I spent a month of my time in a process and you were so thrilled about me until this last moment that changed, I, people people want answers and it's 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 human nature, but it's like what do you do with that? And that's the key of it. Yes, and I believe everybody if they've participate, participated in an interview process, deserves an outcome. It's gross when people get ghosted, right? That is not acceptable. Yeah. Um, but because I sit on the other side of the desk, I understand that you're not ever going to, again, in a larger corporation in a Fortune 500 or, you know, or bigger, you're not going to get much more than a yes or a no. And honestly, the reason might infuriate you because there is bias at play and it might just be that they didn't like you or they didn't want a gay that's, person. That, but that's it. Like that is it. You but didn't get chosen true. for the job because they didn't like you enough. Yeah. Like, that's, what it, that's what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. It's gross, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, if you were to give one piece of resume advice and only one, uh, and it's a blanket statement to say big, big thing, but if you had to give one piece of resume advice out there for job seekers, what would it be? Okay, the best thing that I can say about resumes is I really don't believe that you need to spend $800 having somebody do your resume for you. I've actually written for Forbes a free article on how to write a resume. I encourage you to go and check it out. It's free. It contains all my best advice. Ask five different people. You're going to get five different subjective answers on how a resume should look or what it should right. include. My high-level advice is one page or two page. This is for America. In Europe and Asia, it's different. In the US, one page or two page doesn't really make a difference. Whatever you feel more, more comfortable with. Clean and clear because it's a human being that's reading your resume, whether it's a recruiter or a hiring manager. So it needs to be visually appealing to the human being reading it. And remember, your real estate is precious. And so yes. maximizing the real estate on the page and remembering 50% responsibilities and 50% results. What we're mm -hmm. looking for is what you did, where you did it, for how long, 
and what you achieved whilst you were doing it. That's what recruiters want to see. So as long as all of that's clear, you're good to go. Yeah. Don't get I, hung I'll... up on like action words and like, uh-huh. fun and all of that. Like <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of people that I help out with, I look at their resumes and they say, like you're you're doing more of a job description than you are your resume. Like this is what you did, not what you achieved. So doing those things you said, like that that's what you make it like this is what you achieved. In in my role, like marketing, for example, metrics, as many numbers as we can have. The one page, two page debate though, I was gonna ask about that. So I've I've been using one page. There's lot I think I'm gonna move to two page. Like I've always just been doing one page. Like I kind of consolidated my earlier work, like my earlier career stuff. But like I'm wondering if people just like think it's less senior because it's one page, or I don't know. Well, I'm quite a bit older than you. <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh, mine is one page because right. Okay, that's that's. I've always thought that. Yeah, yeah. You only need detail for the most recent decade. We need to understand what you were doing in the decade or decades preceding. But it can literally be a summary because it doesn't matter because it's ten years ago. What I was doing 10 years ago is not applicable because all of the tech is obsolete, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and my resume is one page long. But I'm also unemployed, so <laughs> 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 maybe I've got it wrong. Um, so it is time now for Spill the Tea with Lee. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B and beyond, and we're going to get juicy. So Spill the Tea with Lee. All I'm going to say is Elon Musk. First thoughts that come to mind. It is so disappointing that as a society, and I don't just mean society here in the US, I mean worldwide, that we equate extreme wealth with wisdom. And sure, he's achieved some amazing things, right? In pushing forward technology and you know, built incredibly valuable companies, of course. But (laughs) that does not mean that he is wise or good or has a depth of expertise in anything beyond electric vehicles and space travel. And some of the things that he's saying specifically around DEI are erroneous, dangerous, and ill-informed. And it is such a shame that he has such a large platform to say whatever he wants. It's dangerous. Well, he bought the platform to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what sucks. Uh, so I, he's like the closest thing we have to a Bond villain, in my, in my opinion. He is exactly like a Bond villain. Yeah. He's also, I, always, I also think of in The Dark Knight, there's the quote, you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. I don't think he was ever a hero, so it doesn't work here, but it's more like how much good can counteract the bad and does that does that even balance out does that does that even matter that way but that's philosophy spill the tea on your favorite hiring myth to debunk it's 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 hiring advice or recruiting advice you see all the time and you're just like don't follow that advice some of the biggest myths are around the ats the applicant mm-hmm. tracking system and what it can do versus what it can't do. Remember, it's a digital filing cabinet, nothing more, nothing less, that requires human intervention. It's not 
some all-powerful AI-enabled tool that is screening you out. I obviously believe that AI will have an increasingly important role to play in all of our jobs. But also, I've been working in corporate America for a long time, and so can tell you unequivocally that inside a large organization, the enabling functions, of which human resources definitely want, are always the last in line for any sort of investment. Anything that touches the product or the consumer gets invested in first. Yep. And so even in some miraculous world where HR got to the front of the queue for investment, it would take conservatively a year to figure out what we were going to spend the money on, which of the vendors we wanted to use. It would then take another year of legal and procurement going through the due diligence process. And then it would take a year to get space on the IT roadmap to have whatever we bought implemented. And so even if there was some amazing AI tool that was delivered tomorrow, which doesn't exist yet, by the way, you wouldn't see it at scale for five to 10 years. Yeah, love it. You know? So for the job seeker, we, we can often, we don't put ourselves in the shoes necessarily of the recruiters, of the talent acquisition people. What is something that you either want to remind job seekers or, or just want to shed the light on that we don't necessarily think of or know behind the scenes that about recruiters and talent acquisition? I think the biggest, one of the biggest misunderstandings is what is the role of a recruiter? And controversially, recruiters are not here to help you find work. That is not their job. Recruiters work for the company and for a specific function within the organization. And their job is to manage the process for open roles within the function that they support. Their primary clients are the hiring managers and the HR business partners that they work with. They manage candidates for every open vacancy, but their primary responsibility is to the organization. And so I think there is a mis often a mismatch in expectation of what the recruiter is doing, and that leads to some of the friction that then they're not working for you, the individual. They're working for the company. And yeah. I, if you're not paying them, they're not working for you. That that's a good thing to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. This is kind of a silly question, but is talent acquisition and recruiting the same thing, or are there specific differences between them? No, we just have a branding issue. We don't know what to call okay. ourselves. It's the same thing. It's just like the evolution of the of the industry. I was called a head of recruiting back in the day, and now I'm called a head of talent acquisition. Well, actually, no, I'm called nothing at all. But like, well, <laughs> it's just... as of now, you are. Yeah. Which do you prefer, talent acquisition or? I really don't care. <laughs> Before we wrap, I always like to give our guests a, a place to shout out. So I want to shout out your your guide again. I know you are speaking at, at something coming up and Forbes. So I want you to shout out anything you have coming up or how people can contact you. Oh, that's kind. Yeah, please just follow me on LinkedIn. Hopefully you like the or like find useful and informative the stuff that I'm posting. I I, I try and be uh, as responsive as I can be because uh, I want I want to make good content. 
I have a weekly column in Forbes, which you can also find on my LinkedIn profile. And I will be speaking at the Transform HR conference in Las Vegas in March. Awesome. Well, seriously, I, I can vouch for these posts. Definitely go follow. Definitely look out for the Forbes posts because you, James, does a great job of not only giving you advice, but debunking the advice that you might have heard in the past. So very actionable stuff. James, thanks so much for, for coming on. This was such a great episode, especially for job seekers. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you for another episode of Lead to Be next time. Enjoying Lead to Be? Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews go a long way in supporting me. Thank you so much.